Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. I'm here with my good buddy, Mike Maloney, the man everyone has been waiting for. He is an expert, as all of you guys know, on precious metals, macroeconomics, the global monetary system, how money is created. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing, George? I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm doing fantastic. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to remind everyone that you're going to be at Rebel Capitalist Live. I'm super excited. Did you know Schiff is going to be there? Yes, I saw that on your schedule. Peter will be there, right? Yeah, and uh, Kiyosaki is going to be there, but he's not going to speak. And Kenny, oh. so there's going to be a lot of people there that uh, you know well and it'll kind of be like a little miniature reunion there. But, yeah, I started out with Robert. So a couple things that I wanted to go over first and foremost, Mike, is the gold ratios. And I've been, because I don't really follow the gold ratios too much. So what I'm talking about is gold, uh, copper, gold, silver, and then the, the, the relationship between gold and the gold miners. So I've been seeing some yeah, charts on, can you expand on that? There's a couple others that I watch also, the Dow gold ratio, the gold real estate ratio, uh, the gold to the uh, M2 currency supply ratio. All right. Those are all, I think they're all important. So uh, can you explain why each one's important and kind of what intel you get from those? Well, gold, copper, copper tells you how well the economy is doing. Right, right. You know, they called it Dr. Copper for years. Uh, and uh, the Dow gold uh, just says in the financial markets, uh, is gold undervalued or overvalued? And it's still fundamentally undervalued at this point. There was, you know, if you look at 1980, also another thing is gold is a percentage of financial assets. And right now, almost nobody owns gold. Mm. And, uh, you know, when a crisis, there's, there's a reason that the world's central banks have gold on their balance sheet as a tier one asset, right. you know, a number one asset, and they, they are not holding any cryptocurrencies or anything like that. So, um, and they're buying a lot more, aren't they, Mike, recently? Yes, record amounts. The most that they've ever purchased is, is what they purchased last year. And this year, they're on track to exceed that. So, um, yeah. And then with the gold-silver ratio, th that kind of mean reverts, doesn't it? Well, it does and it doesn't. The history of that is that it was, you know, 14 or 15 for, uh, you know, more than a thousand, almost a couple thousand years. And then hmm. in the late 1800s, we demonetized silver and relegated it to small bills, backing small bills, bills uh, $5 or less, and coinage. Uh, before that, it was uh, held in the treasuries. And when the world went on the classical gold standard, uh, treasuries around the world dumped enormous amounts of silver onto the market, along with the discoveries of the Comstock load, which just barfed out an immense amount of silver all at once. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was the it wasn't the largest find of silver. That's the Silver Valley in Idaho, Coeur d'Alene area, uh, Wallace, Idaho. Uh, that is the largest deposit uh, ever discovered, and it keeps on producing. But um, at the same time that the world's governments demonetized silver. Uh, all of this silver new supply came onto the market. And there's been several times where uh, silver has hit a ratio to where its value was only one one hundredth of gold. Instead of one fourteenth or one fifteenth, it fell all the way to one one hundredth. Huh. But during the uh, great gold and silver rush of the 70s, uh, the ratio in January of 1980 hit 14. So it went back down to where its natural balance was. Now, um, the mineable, the, the uh, Earth's crust, I believe, is 17 times more silver than gold, but the mineable supplies are about 14, 15 to 1, or were about 14, 15 to 1. Silver yes. tends to occur more toward the surface, and so the uh, mineable supplies have largely been mined out. So the ratio is probably uh, less than that. It might be 10 to one or eight to one. Uh, right now, we're at about 80 to, I haven't checked today, you know, all of these prices and these ratios. 
I used to know the know what was happening that day. But right. after you know, after uh, fifteen years or more of doing this, uh, you get so that uh, knowing what's happening that day isn't important. Uh, I do know that right now, uh, gold is fundamentally undervalued compared to stocks and real estate, and silver is undervalued compared to gold. And so, what I do with the gold-silver ratio is I let that tell me which one to buy. Right. Uh, if it's at the gold, specific time. Yeah, if it's over 70, I don't buy any gold. I buy only silver. If it's somewhere between 50 and 70, I buy a mix. And when it's under 50 or 40, I buy only gold. Even in uh, crises events during the pandemic, uh, uh, you know, the, the pandemic plunge when uh, the stock markets were crashing, the COVID crash, um, or the, the Cerveza. <laughs> uh, the cerveza sickness, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, during that, I uh, wanted to buy gold so bad because, you know, these these events cause anxiety. And when people have anxiety, they want to turn toward gold. But I really uh, just, the gold-silver ratio wouldn't let me buy mm. uh, gold. It, I, I was instructed by that ratio to buy silver, and I did. And the silver was up at... Uh, the ratio was like a, it hit one 120th of gold's value. Um, I believe I bought at about one 110th of gold's value. Well, it's going to go to at least 55 someday, or, uh, which means silver will have outperformed gold. The silver that I bought then will have outperformed gold by double. Uh, but I believe it's going to hit uh, like 20 or even less, just like it did back in 1980. During the end of a precious metals bull market, uh, when the public comes rushing in, when gold seems too expensive, and remember, it was only $250 an ounce at the beginning of this century. Right. Uh, and when it hits $5,000 an ounce, which it will, uh, people are going to go, wow, the, the gold has gotten really expensive. How much is the silver? <laughs> and when they shift their preference towards silver, silver just explodes. Mm. Uh, the rest of them are economic indicators. And, and uh, one of the things that's important is, is the uh, gold to M2 currency supply ratio. If there's too much currency, which there is, uh, then eventually uh, people will rush back to gold to protect, protect their purchasing power. And it's interesting, you know, <laughs> the, uh, there, there is manipulation of the precious metals. And we're seeing people go to jail for short-term manipulations now. Uh, GATA, the Gold, and the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, uh, has been claiming this for a long time. And people have called them, you know, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. And now they're being proven right. Uh, the, the manipulation, it's, it's interesting that we've suppressed the gold price and it has given uh, the East a chance to gobble up a lot of the world's gold at a very good price. So China and, you know, it's, it's the West is no longer selling, but they're not buying the world's central banks here. But the East is Russia and China have gobbled up uh, an awful lot of gold at prices that we have suppressed. It's right. a pretty insane world when you think about it. Yeah, I, I just saw a headline today about how the one of the governors or one of the head honchos at the Bank of England came out and just basically said on an interview that the average Joe and Jane in the UK is just going to have to accept the fact that they're going to be poorer now and in the future right and i i tweeted that out and i said take that putin because yeah. you know that was the whole mantra six months ago eight months ago you know, take that putin i'm going to take a cold shower and you know everyone was gung-ho about these sanctions but what i was saying back then is those sanctions are going to hurt the west far more than it hurts russia or china or india anything like that and that's exactly what we're seeing right now yeah and you know i've i've also said that for a long time but uh, the, they're, they're saying that the, the central bank is saying that uh, 
this will be part just accepting that you're going to be poorer is uh, going to be part of what stops inflation. Well, they caused the inflation. Right. The inflation, you know, they, they were doing it uh, ever since 2008, uh, inflating the currency supply. They couldn't figure out why they couldn't get uh, consumer prices to start rising. But it's it's not difficult to figure out when you know the way open market operations or quantitative easing in England works. They have they buy through the financial markets and that inflates the financial markets. And they're not measuring that as part of the CPI. You know, years ago, I can't, when I was writing my first book, uh, I came up with a measurement of inflation that I believe is the only true measurement of inflation. I call it cup inflation, C-U-P-P. -P. It's currency units per person. <laughs> it's very simple. It's based on one simple fact. Every unit of currency created, created must go somewhere. And inflation is just uh, over the long run. It's the quantity of currency into the how many goods and services exist and the size of the population. Uh, it's something has to inflate when they, it, it, either savings, which they don't measure, uh, or it, it's got to be uh, the stock market or real estate. And they don't, these things aren't incorporated in the CPI. And so you don't get a sense of what true, you know. The whole time from 2008 to uh, to 2019, there was huge inflation. It just wasn't at the grocery store and gas station. Right, right, right. It was the expansion of the, I guess, the bank's balance sheets and willingness to lend. I always wonder if that's more a result of psychology or actually back-end mechanics. Yeah, well, so the psychology is is the velocity of the currency, and that determines short-term inflation and deflation. But over the long run, you know, I did a video on um, a, a letter, open letter to Keynesians, and I took the price of a uh, fast food like family meal, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in the U.S., Japan. Uh, Indonesia and Venezuela, <laughs> or the price of a, uh, a Volkswagen Golf, a base model. And, you know, you're talking about uh, 30,000 here, and you're talking about uh, 100 and something thousand units of currency in Japan. And then you're talking about quite a few million in uh, Indonesia, and then a, a few billion in Venezuela for the same product. So right. uh, it, it over the long run, it's always the quantity of currency that the central bank creates. And they are the ones that are responsible for inflation. And now they're pointing the finger at the average Joe when what happened was they created new currency and stole purchasing power from the average Joe in England, transferred it to the government. And then the government wastes it on all of their stupid regulations and, and just preventing business from happening and uh and they've got when whenever they take a dollar uh out of the real economy the economy that we create we all create for one another and then they've got to run it through their system and pay a whole bunch of bureaucrats and politicians uh before it comes spitting out the other end as, as 50 60 70 cents that they pay to a teacher or something like that very inefficient system. And we keep on voting for these assholes. <laughs> I just don't understand uh, the why, why we keep on electing these people. Yeah, and I think it's a supply side issue as well. Because, you know, you're talking about the increase of currency units. But if you do that while at the same time, using COVID as an example, you lock everyone in a cage. Yeah. And you destroy the global supply chains. You know, you're going to have a double whammy of inflation on the demand side and the supply side. Well, that the, the again, bureaucrats making decisions for all of us uh, that we saw a level of evil in the world that I did not know exist. One of the nice things mm -hmm. about COVID is it exposed all of this. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, it's it. It is such a different world today. Yeah. And now talking about unintended consequences. I saw another story today, oddly from MSNBC, or no, it was from uh, MSN or something, but it's kind of a mainstream media outlet where they actually published a story uh, from this doctor in the UK that was talking about the unintended consequences 
with uh, certain health outcomes from people keeping people locked up. And their assertion was that the lockdowns created far more health problems than COVID itself. And, uh, you know, anyone who was paying attention back then could have seen this, but it's not just unintended consequences with health and COVID. To your point, it's unintended consequences or maybe intended consequences when they get control of the money supply or when they get in control of regulations or pretty much anything they do. Yeah. You know, um, in episode eight of Hidden Secrets of Money, I opened up with the world stands at a crossroads and I was talking about uh distributed ledger technology mm. uh, and, you know, not Bitcoin specifically, but distributed ledgers and that, you know, we've got this opportunity for freedom and prosperity. But if this technology is captured and controlled, it All can right. lead to the enslavement of the entire population of the planet. And, and that is central bank digital currencies that I was talking about there. Uh, and, uh, and we're headed down that path now. And it's, it's, you know, I'm glad that I lived when I did, <laughs> but I, uh, was born in the mid fifties. And so, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of turbulence and, and the, and trials and tribulations. Uh, but the, I think I lived through the best part of humanity and we're seeing, uh, you know, I go through the airports now and things are becoming so dystopian with, uh, the, with government and authorities controlling everything, controlling your every move. And now, where, where was it? I was in, I think I was uh, getting on a plane in Salt Lake City Airport, and uh, they've got these uh, cameras, you know, binocular, uh, binocular cameras that uh, are doing retinal scans. And this is uh, the oh. minority report. I mean, it's yeah, exactly... Yeah. <laughs> it is really uh, scary. So. Yeah, and you know how how it's so interesting how the attitude towards that has changed completely to where it's just nonchalant. You know, people. Right. I was born in '73, and I I'm the same way. I always, you know, thank God that I was raised in the '70s or the '80s, just kind of the last couple decades of sanity where I could see that as a child before we've completely uh, derailed. Yeah. But, you know, you know, and I, I wonder about the kids that are growing up today and you get kind of concerned because they don't have anything as kind of that, that, that foundation, their foundation, what they learned in the school system today is just all of, of the, uh, of the, um, of this parallel universe that isn't really reality. It's just complete fantasy. And, and they're making their life decisions based on that. Right. And, you know, uh, they're so they have become very disconnected from reality by being on their phones and, and tablets and computers. All You know, they don't use computers that much. They're always on their phones, staring at the screen, not talking to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Mike, it's funny. My father, actually, I don't know if you, I've ever told you this, but my father was very old when I was born. Uh, to the extent that he was born in 1914, believe it or not. Wow. wow. And uh, yeah, he flew planes in the Philippines in World War II. And those are the those are the dog tags that I was wore. My father's dog tags from from World War II. Wow. Uh, but anyway, uh, I remember vividly growing up uh, with my father when he would go to the bank, and he would if anyone at the bank, any teller or anything like that, asked him any question, it was none of your business. None of your business. And yeah. now you go to the teller. They're like, oh, what do you do? Oh, where'd you get that money you're depositing? Oh, why are you depositing over $1,000? And I just think back to my father. And I he would not have even accepted that. He would have told the manager that he's taking his business elsewhere just due to just privacy. I'm not telling you anything about my money. How dare you ask me about right. where I, I got my money? So it's like, how have we gone from that to where we are today. It's absolutely amazing. And you know what? I do the same thing because uh, the banks here in Puerto Rico uh, don't seem to know how to do banking. Just fundamental accounting is a, seems to be a problem for them. But uh, if 
If I use my Bank of America account, I can wire transfer a million dollars to somebody if they're already in my payee list in 30 seconds. If they're not, it takes about three minutes. Here in Puerto Rico, it takes about three hours. You've got to go in. You've got to wait for an associate for 45 minutes. And then you sit down, fill out a bunch of paperwork, and they ask you, where did you get this money? And my answer is, well, it's not money, it's currency, and it's none of your business, but since you ask, and then I tell them. <laughs> so I always say, you know, and, and who are you sending it to? You know, what do they do? Uh, well, it's none of your business, but since you ask, they... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's it's uh, very uh, intrusive. We have lost a whole lot of our uh, rights as human beings, as creatures born upon this planet. Yeah. Uh, to people it's that you know, all collectivist societies uh, do so at the point of a gun. They create a collective society. All socialism works by forcing, coercing. The people that don't necessarily want to go along with it, and that's usually the group that they are stealing from. Yeah, uh, right. You know, you can you socialism only works until you run out of uh, other people's money, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, Margaret Thatcher. Cur yeah, currency is is uh, what I call it. One of the things about you know you've been studying balance sheet accounting for quite a while now, and you understand that uh, that currency. Uh, appears and then vanishes you know it's some it's just a balance sheet trick <laughs> and trick is the operative word here it's it's uh you know a, a hocus pocus uh you know watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat <laughs> financial systems the entire thing is an illusion now yeah what people think are dollars are they're just trading commercial bank liabilities back and forth for goods and services. Commercial bank liabilities. Uh, it's a number that is imagined into existence. You bring them a house or a car that you want to buy and the bank looks at the house and says, yes, the, this collateral is worth uh, more than you're asking for the loan. And they look at you and say, yes, you probably will repay us. And then they imagine a million dollars into existence into your checking account and mm -hmm. you buy the house and that brand new, brand new imagined currency is now out in circulation uh, and it sets in motion a transaction of something for nothing a trade of something for nothing it is fraud it is theft it is enslavement because now you're going to work for 30 years to pay that loan back uh, and uh, on these numbers and the first 15 years you're paying mostly you know just interest right you're not paying that principal back. So for the first 15 years, you're just paying the bank uh, to what they've done for you. What you when you when you go to them and take out a loan, one of the things there that uh, you're having them do is to steal purchasing power from every unit of currency in existence by imagining these new numbers, putting them into circulation, and they get their purchasing power by diluting the currency supply, which means they steal this microscopic little amount of purchasing power, and that's what we call inflation. And they transfer that stolen purchasing power to the new, new units of currency. So you're hiring them to commit fraud and theft. They're committing a fraud uh, to you, saying that they're loaning you something. They're, they don't loan you anything that exists. They make up these brand new numbers, and it's just a balance sheet trick and uh, then transfer that, dilute the currency supply, stealing purchasing power, and then they enslave you for uh, 15 years paying them interest. And then the last 15 years, you're actually buying your house. And as you do, uh, as, as you well know, when you make the payment and you're paying principal, uh, part of the debt, the principal and the debt both vanish. And so those dollars that sprung into existence by them imagining these dollars into existence get unimagined when they uh, meet the debt on the balance sheet. And, uh, and so currency appears and disappears. It's, it's just a magic trick. What do you and, think a more uh, honest system would be, Mike? Full reserve? Well, we had an honest system. No, you don't necessarily need full reserve. Uh, you know, we used to use gold, and people would uh, agree to time deposits, or it was full reserve if if it was a, a immediately available checking account. Correct. You, yep. you got a higher interest rate for savings accounts 
which were term accounts. You were expected to leave your currency there for your money back then for five years or whatever. You would make an agreement and then there would be a penalty for early withdrawal. It was still available to you all the time. But uh, instead of the bank paying you interest, if you wanted to take out something that uh, threatens their balance sheet because they had made a loan of gold coins that actually did exist to somebody that wanted to buy a house or build a house, uh, uh, you would pay a small penalty for that. And uh, it worked. Uh, we didn't have FDIC insurance then. Uh, FDIC insurance, though, I'm not sure of the morality of that. One of the things that in studying the monetary system so intensely for so many years, trying to write my book, uh, The Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, um, you just come across the immorality of everything. We are totally enslaved by this monetary system. And there's a small group of people that get to ride for free in society, the elites uh, and their buddies. Uh, get to it, it, we've got this system that benefits the few at the expense of the many. And uh, it is just so immoral to have the world population really enslaved just to do this wealth transfer to the few that get to run the game. Uh, it's it, when, when we used, you, you said, should it be full reserve? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily argue for gold or silver. I'm really not a gold and silver advocate. I'm an opportunity advocate. And right now we do have an opportunity in gold and silver because the world has been set so badly out of balance. Uh, and uh, when, when the rebalancing happens, gold and silver have a lot of catching up to do. When they do, uh, you're gaining in purch true purchasing power. But the difference between a system where you imagine dollars into existence to buy this house, the bank just imagines them, you're committing fraud, theft, you get enslaved for 15 years. When we used gold, gold and silver are called honest money for a reason. The, if, if you want to buy a house, you have to work for a certain period of time to save up a, a certain amount of gold coins that, he, that uh, you're going to buy that house with. The work that it took to uh, do the prospecting, turn that, that uh, find into a claim that is turned into a mine that mines the ore and you've got to move, move more than 30 tons of earth ore to get one ounce of gold, 30 tons per ounce. Uh, and then melt, make that into bars, melt the bars and mint them into coins. That amount of work equals the amount of work and effort that you had to put in to accumulate them, which equals the amount of work it takes to chop down all the trees, turn the trees into timber, turn the, dig up all the cement, dig up the copper, the copper ore and make copper to, and then pay people to build this house. And it's three transactions, your transaction of doing the work in the middle, the transaction of, of all of these things that come together and actually make the gold coins and the transaction of all the things that come together to make the house. They're equal values. It's a fair trade all the way across. With uh, currency, it is fraud, theft, and enslavement. There is a big difference between money and currency, and everybody needs to start defining the difference. Uh, we need to start using proper terminologies here. Uh, I've been trying to do this since 2006. It's hard to uh, call currency currency and money money, but money must be a store of value. Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Got a quick question for you. Are you someone that realizes we are headed straight for an economic recession? maybe even worse. Do you also realize that the government is trying to restrict your freedom, liberty, and privacy on a daily basis? We've all heard in the news lately about central bank digital currencies, and it's not a matter of if we get them, it's simply a matter of when. But although you know we're facing all of these problems, you don't know what to do about it. How do you protect your wealth or grow your wealth when we're dealing with a very volatile economic environment? Or how do you maintain or increase your freedom and privacy when we have this woke Orwellian government that's trying to micromanage your life? Well, fortunately, got some good news for you. I have set up an event that is focused on helping you, the rebel capitalist, find solutions to these problems. 
It's all set up to help you build wealth and thrive in this world of out of control central banks and big governments. That event is Rebel Capitalist Live. It's going to be absolutely incredible. It's in Orlando, May 12th to the 14th. We're going to have speakers like Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, Jeff Snyder, Robert Barnes, just to name a few. So to get more information on how you can attend this incredible event that's going to give you actionable intel that will help you prepare for the rest of 2023 and beyond, go to rebelcapitalistlive.com and I will see you in Orlando. How do you think it would work if the United States readopted a gold standard? Because there's, I saw two politicians recently. One was arguing that I'm obviously both of them are trying to buy votes, but uh, proposing a bill that would put the United States back on a gold standard. And then the other one was a local politician in Texas that was talking about issuing Texas issuing its own currency that that would be backed by gold and it would work a little bit like uh like the sprot uh gold trust where you're just kind of buying shares of that kind of trading that back and forth but um what are your thoughts on backing the dollar with gold and then maybe a gold-backed currency in a state uh any gold-backed currency or a gold standard is just another scam where they can they can uh you know, it gets the foot in the door again to uh, start this fraud and theft. Mm. It starts out fully backed like we did with the uh, U.S. dollar when we issued treasury notes. Right. That was a an IOU for money, and it was fully backed. Then we established the Federal Reserve, and it only required that they be 40% backed. So you could put fifty claim, $50 of claim checks in circulation for each $20 worth of gold. That's a 40% uh, reserve ratio, you know, $40 of gold backing up $100 of gold claim checks in circulation, because that's what the dollar was, was a claim check. It was not money. And uh, it said so right on the bill that it wasn't money. Mm. And in the beginning of my book, uh, the in the first chapter, uh, there are some pictures of um, of different notes that we used to have in circulation. And, you know, the Treasury notes would say there have been deposited in the Treasury of the United States $10,000 in gold coin payable to the bearer upon demand. Mm -hmm. And then the Federal Reserve notes. And so it's a note. A note is, you know, your IOU, right? And the Federal Reserve notes said that they were redeemable in gold on demand uh, at the United States Treasury. So that's the Federal Reserve saying, well, here's my IOU. The neighbor will pay it. Right. <laughs> and and because the Treasury isn't part of the Federal Reserve or in gold or lawful money uh, at any Federal Reserve Bank was the Federal Reserve note. So that's an admission that this note was not money. It was payable in gold or lawful money. What was the lawful money? That was uh, the treasury notes that were 100% gold backed. And so right on the bill, it said, this is not money. It's an IOU for money. <laughs> and uh, that's how this whole thing started was with a gold standard. And these standards, they keep on, they they cheat it, and then the cheating builds up energy and creates this emergency. There's something like the Great Depression, something right. along the World War or something crisis that was caused by cheating. Now, if you use, it's immoral to use something that is empty and has no loaning somebody nothing and then expecting to get paid back something is immoral. Loaning something and expecting to be paid back with interest is moral. Uh, the, um, uh, I lost my train of thought here, but a gold standard opens up the window. If we used gold, and you can digitize, digitize gold these days, we could have representation of nanograms or, or milligrams of, of gold in our phones and be able to pay, and you're paying for something with something. 
Right. Uh, the U.S., you know, when you look at what uh, the digits in your bank account are, uh, Bank of England says those digits are a reminder to the bank that the bank owes you IOUs. And that's exactly what they say. The bank mm -hmm. owes you IOUs. What are the IOUs that it owes you? In the United States, it's Federal Reserve notes. And that's an IOU. So you dig down deeper to try and figure out what that IOU is. And uh, the, on the, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, the, the, their liabilities are the IOUs that they've made that are in circulation in, in your wallet. But it's and, an IOU nothing. Well, no, it's an IOU YOU. That's the entire world mo monetary system is IOU you because what backs them is U.S. Treasuries. That's the fundamental asset of the Federal Reserve. And it's the same for the Bank of England. They're, they're, you know, what backs uh, their currency uh, is uh, British gilts. Uh, and gilt is a good good name for it. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but if, if you went to the Federal Reserve, with if, if, if everybody closed their bank accounts, paid off their loans first, and then whatever's left, they get paid there at these IOUs that are Federal Reserve notes. And you showed up at the Federal Reserve and you said, I want, to, want you to make good on these notes. They would have to give you back uh, U.S. Treasuries. And what is a treasury? It's, uh, you know, loan, loan me a trillion bucks. Uh, this is the government now. Loan me a trillion bucks. I promise you over a 30-year period, I'm going to pay you that back. That trillion plus another trillion of interest. Where do they get that? By taxing you in the future. So what right. they owe you is a piece of your future lifetime. That's what backs the, the entire monetary system is our enslavement, our, the, these pieces. Yeah, your future productivity. Future yeah. What? Yeah, they owe you your, your future productivity. Exactly, right. The, the hours that you have to work in the future to be able to pay the tax that is, so that uh, the treasury can pay the principal and interest on these treasury bills, bonds, and notes that the treasury bought by imagining a number into existence <laughs> and, mm. and printing a note that says, I owe you, why owe you? Right. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down. I'm going to okay. start using that, Mike, and I'm going to start well, using please, your guilt thing. I'm going to start using your too. guilt thing for sure. That was a real, that was a real zinger. <laughs> So what do you think about M2 money supply going down recently? You know, M2 is largely driven. People don't realize that 90% of the currency supply or just a little bit more uh, is created by the banks and not by the Federal Reserve. And right. it's going down simply because, you know, currency is constantly coming into existence and then vanishing. And we keep on borrowing more and more and more. So monetary system that is nothing but an illusion is, is just a smoke and mirrors magic trick. That's all. I mean, you've dug into the balance sheet side of this very, very deeply. It's all a bunch of smoke and mirrors that doesn't really exist. And so currency is being imagined into existence and then out of existence constantly. And we have to go deeper and deeper in debt as a society. Well, you raise interest rates and some of these loans aren't getting rolled over. They're getting paid off. And with 90% of all the dollars that are out there in circulation being bank credit invented by the banks, right. uh, it, it means that the economy is slowing down. People aren't taking out quite as many loans as they used to. And there's more loans being paid than made. That's what's going on with the, and it's because of interest rates and Powell recklessly slamming interest rates up at a rate of increase. This is the important thing, isn't how much they've increased it, but the rate of change right. over a period of time. And there's never been anything like this in history. And So, it, so yeah. Mike, how does that play into the fact that they're, the M2 is going down? This is an indication that there are more loans being paid off. But in for this economy to function properly, we have to have more loans being issued than are being paid off. We have to have the opposite. So how right. does this play into Deflationary. your... What? I don't know, two or three years ago, something like that. I know you had this uh, idea, which I thought was very, very good and insightful about deflation, then inflation. And um, I mean, I think it kind of what we're talking about with M2 plays right into that hypothesis, doesn't it? Yes, yes. And I consider inflation and deflation a monetary phenomenon. It's, it's the expansion or contraction of the currency supply. 
prices are the symptom uh, of the inflation or, or the expansion or contraction of the currency supply. Um, and all of it is, causes uh, theft and wealth transfers. And what we've seen, if you know, for all of the viewers, uh, if you go to ggsr21.com, there's two free chapters there from my book, chapters three and four. Uh, three is a real easy, friendly, uh, entertaining chart tutorial because charts can be, the person creating the chart, if they've got an agenda, you can use a chart to skew your skew the reader's oh, perception yeah. and lie, yeah. very easy. So you need yeah. to know what to look for uh, in charts. But then the next section we've got, uh, it's, it's all about currency creation and um, uh, in there, um, I show the wealth transfer. I think it's part six of chapter four. And there's, a vi there's videos on it. And some of the videos I've got to redo. I was sort of off kilter when uh, I made them. Uh, but uh, I, part six shows the wealth transfer and the enslavement that has gone on. And what this does when you steal from the poor and the middle class through currency creation and you give to the richest people on the planet, by inflating the stock, whoever's got, whoever's um, uh, wealth is determined by their stock portfolio. Those are the people that uh, the, the wealth was taken from anybody that's working for a living and doesn't have 99% uh, of their net worth tied up in stocks. And it's given to the people that do have 99% of their net worth in stocks. Uh, it, it's stolen purchasing power. And it's just a primary function of our immoral, evil uh, monetary system. The world's monetary system is just flat out evil. When you really dig down and study this thing and get to the, the root of all of it, um, this is immoral. And I mean, I can't, you know, I'd love to buy some treasury bonds right now because uh, it's probably, you know, when they cut rates again in the next emergency, those bonds go way up in value and you can sell them at a huge profit. In the meantime, you're getting paid something, but you're investing in the slave trade. You are investing in the enslavement of, of uh, ourselves and future generations when you invest in a U.S. Treasury. By the way, right now, my book appears to be shadow banned on Amazon. They have uh, they've they've listed it about a month into uh, uh, having my book on Amazon. They changed it to a video game. <laughs> and video game. On writing them over and over again, because uh, you can't actually like pick up the phone and call somebody yeah. if you're a seller on Amazon. It's like dealing with the IRS, but worse, and it's every day. Uh, but uh, they they switched it to a video game, and they say, "Oh no, no, no! This is the way people. This is the proper listing. This is the way people will search for your book as a video game." And so the the sales of the book have been. Uh, taken down by about 90% uh, because there is stuff in there that uh, some powerful people don't want you to read. Um, uh, the, but luckily, a lot of it is in chapter four, ggsr21.com is where people can go and read chapter four and watch the associated videos. And make sure you watch uh, part six as the video because uh, I show some information that isn't in the book there that I probably should have put in the book. Mike, where can people go to buy the book? If you type in "Great Gold," the the Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, and your search bar on Amazon is set to uh, all departments, then it'll come up. But if you're on books or you type in "Investing in Gold," this was the number one selling book on investing in gold or silver. But if you type in gold investing, it doesn't show up. If you type in silver investing, it doesn't show up. Can they just or buy it directly on the website? Huh? Can they buy it directly on the website? You can buy it. Well, there's a link on the website that'll take you from ggsr21.com. It'll take you directly to uh, the Amazon page. Except Amazon, there was a lawsuit by South Dakota to try and get sales tax on items that were being uh, sold by mail, basically, you know, delivered mm -hmm. by mail. Uh, it was Way South Dakota versus Wayfair. Uh, and Amazon backed the South Dakota side 
because Amazon has the ability. There, there are more than 1,300 different tax jurisdictions in the United States. And if I sold it on my website, we actually have to file with all of these different jurisdictions. Now, there are companies that will do this service for you. But it's a company, it's another example of government regulation causing businesses to spring up that are taking a cut of something, raising the retail price for everybody. Right. You know, you look at the amount of taxes that we paid. When I was in California, uh, between federal and state, I, I was paying about 52% tax on my income in California. But then on top of that, you've got sales tax, registering your car, you pay a fee for everything. They're taking gas tax. And if you didn't have this, then uh, all businesses are competitive. They're trying to gain market share. And so they would be cutting their prices. Prices would probably be when you consider the fact that um, everybody that produces raw materials, uh, they, those businesses are taxed and the business is paying matching income taxes. And then wages are artificially high because all of the workers pay income tax. And then, so so the product, the raw material is being sold at a higher price than it would be if these taxes didn't exist. And then that's sold to somebody that makes that into a component of something that's going to end up being a finished product. And all along the way, every single business has to pay all of these matching taxes for their employees, uh, which is the, the reverse. All of the matching taxes, the taxes that you're paying for Social Security and Medicare on behalf of the employee are capped at a certain point. So it's not this progressive like income tax where if you make very little, you're, you're paying a very small percentage. Uh, if you make a lot, you're paying a higher percentage. The matching taxes that businesses pay are the opposite. Uh, they pay the, the less you make, the larger percentage of your income is being paid on your behalf. And when you add that to your income tax, I mean, people would be shocked if they actually added the taxes that the business has to pay on their behalf. And if that job didn't exist, the business wouldn't be paying that tax. So it is all truly income tax. But uh, and it doesn't include the, the lack of the decrease in productivity due to the time that those businesses have to allocate to yes. paying the taxes, figuring right. it out, hiring the accountant. And then other regulations, the, the amount of accounting, it is 10 times more difficult to start and run a business today than it was in the 1980s. And right. talk about, uh, you know, placing a limit on the amount of prosperity in society. Government is what keeps us from being, it, government keeps us poor. It keeps us fighting with each other. It keeps us all uh, sort of off kilter, uh, scared, and, and uh, you know, believing this politician that's lying to us versus this politician that was lying to us. You know, which, <laughs> which lying politician are we going to put into power today? Right. <laughs> and how are they going to change the rules for the next four years so that they're all different, so that businesses, businesses nobody can figure out what the rules of the game are and just play. Uh, you know, businesses, government's job is to be a referee and set a very, very fair level playing field for everybody with no special interests. And we, you know, over the... It's, it's turned into the opposite of that, Mike. Literally, the, it's turned into the literally the exact opposite of that. Exactly. Yeah, it's all uh, crony capitalism. You can't go back and repair a transaction that doesn't happen in the past. Hmm. And the transactions of tomorrow are based upon the transactions that we do today. The income that we create today is how much we can spend tomorrow, uh, as are the transactions of today are based on the transactions of the past. And so whenever we cripple any transaction, we permanently reduce prosperity infinitely out into the future, because right. prosperity should infinitely compound. Right. We do live in a modern dark age and people just do not realize it because there is no basis for comparison. You can't point at uh, some other country and say uh, that, that, you know, if we had done that. Well, you can. You can show uh, based on laws. And if you go to freedom of the economic freedom of the world, uh, you can see uh, what what creates prosperity and what uh, extinguishes it. It's all uh, based on numbers uh, and uh, 
you know, so a lack of corruption and a more level playing field. But if you overregulate or overtax and you extinguish a transaction that could have happened, that transaction would have been linked to another transaction tomorrow and then the next day and so on, and infinitely uh, uh, ex an exponential rise in prosperity out into the future. Yeah. Uh, mankind always gets more efficient at uh, making things and more inventive. And uh, uh, our, we, we think that this, uh, you know, Richard Duncan calls it creditism, uh, that that is what the economy is based on. Well, creating credit is just theft. And so the whole world monetary system and all of the politicians, they're trying to sell us this dream that if we all just steal a little bit more from each other, everything will be fine. <laughs> right. It's, you know, Dan Rubach, my producer director, um, say, is very fond of saying, we're all just a m bunch of monkeys that came down out of the trees yesterday. <laughs> when I'm flying in a plane, I see, you know, the, the highways of cars, and I just see all of these monkeys driving <laughs> <laughs> all on their way to the office to see if they can steal more bananas from, from the other guy. <laughs> and, uh, uh, um, anyway, uh, well, on that note, Mike, we'll go ahead. I got to get to the uh, I got to get to the physical therapist here for my shoulders. So okay. uh, if you could please just let everyone know one more time what that website is, where they can get those free chapters. I think it was three and four. And specifically, you want them to watch that video uh, that's in the, the sixth part of chapter four, I believe. Yeah, part six of, of chapter four. You okay. See what is uh, the picture of... Uh, theft and enslavement, and it's all in one chart. It's the, the savings and uh, checking accounts of, actually it's checkable deposits. So it's the checking accounts of the top 10% versus the bottom 90%. And it's a picture of what is causing the division in our country, the derision, the, uh, the um, backlash of people supporting socialism, which is the most dangerous thought of all. Uh, yeah. Socialism reduces our life expectancies. It makes us unhappy. It makes us poor. It makes us sick. It is one of the most evil uh, um, ideas that has ever come along. And uh, people like Karl Marx and, and uh, Stalin and, and uh, Lenin and Mao, uh, this has caused more death and suffering than anything else in history. And we are going to this point again. You know, all these colleges have been teaching very socialistic ideas. So we've got this younger generation where half of them think that socialism is great and, and capitalism is bad. All prosperity comes yeah. from you or me creating a product or service and then doing a transaction. That's all, where all prosperity comes from. All right, Mike, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Can you just say the website one more time, please? GGSR21.com. So it's the great gold and silver rush of the 21st century.com, basically, ggsr21.com. And for anybody that wants to opt out of this <laughs> evil, uh, uh, enslaving monetary system, uh, that is gold and silver or cryptocurrencies. And the gold and silver you can find at goldsilver.com. Okay, great, Mike. Thanks for the interview. Always love talking to you, my friend. I can't wait to see you in Orlando, May 12th to the 14th. Thanks, George.